0: Okay, so late Thursday night, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was arrested. So we talked last time about his arrest. Now he is taken to the Sanhedrin. Now the governing body of the Jews at that time was a group of 70, 70 people made up of Pharisees, Sadducee, um, scribes. There was 70 in the Sanhedrin. Now some of them were very good. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea, that will take his body and bury it, was a member of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus, who had stood up for him, was a member of the Sanhedrin. So I don't think this was a gathering of the whole Sanhedrin. I think it was, they stacked the deck, they had a quorum and that was enough to condemn him, but it wasn't the whole Sanhedrin. Now, if given, uh, if it is a 35-35 tie, the tiebreaker was the high priest. So Caiaphas is the high priest, and he is the one that's kind of running the Sanhedrin. So after his arrest, he is taken to face the Sanhedrin. If you've ever read Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, do you remember when Aslan was tied to the stone table and all of the demons of the White Witch just have at him? That was Jesus in the Sanhedrin. He's walking in there to be demonized. And he's standing there answering them. Now here's the challenge. Turn, we're going to need Matthew and Luke and John mostly. I don't think we'll go to Mark. So find Matthew 26, 27-ish. And then Luke twenty two twenty three, 23. And then uh, be prepared for Matthew or John 18 and 19. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and i what was it again let's start in matthew 26:27 i inadvertently deleted my new testament definitely not something you want to do all right i'm going to have to use this version not my pdf version Sorry. All right, I'll be a little bit slower, but we can do it. All right, Matthew chapter 26: 27, let's get to his arrest. Um, OK, verse 57. Matthew 27 or sorry, Matthew 26, verse 57. And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Now, here's the problem. The Jews are going to convict him of being the son of God. Um, Look at verse 65, or look at verse... Uh, Let's go to 62. The high priest arose and said, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? And Jesus held his pace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, tell thou that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said unto him, Thou hast sat. Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter shall ye see, now this phrase, the son of man. You will see the son of man sitting on the right hand and coming in power. And the high priest rent his clothes. Now, the Romans aren't going to care one bit that he thinks he's the son of God. So the crime that the Romans are gonna convict is he's a Messiah figure who's a rebellion and he's gonna come and reestablish the kingdom. But the Jews don't care one bit about someone claiming to be the Messiah. They've had dozens of people show up claiming to be the Messiah. So if someone says, hey, I'm the Messiah, that's not a crime to them. But someone who stands there and says, I am the son of man, I'm the son of God. That was blasphemous to them, which is ironic because what's the only sin Jesus can't commit? Blasphemy because he was the son of God. But that's the crime they've committed. They have convinced themselves he's committed. He is blaspheming their law by claiming he's the son of God. Now, they spit in his face. But that's not going to hold any water in Rome, right? Rome's not going to care one bit if someone claims to be the son of God. So they have to find someone who says, go to verse 61. What was the accusation that's going to stick in Rome? What's Rome going to do? This man says what? I will destroy the temple and build it in three days. In other words, that's the... He's, 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 har- he's going to incite a rebellion against Rome. So the Jews don't care one bit about the crime they're going to take to the Romans, and the Romans don't care one bit about the, Jew- the crime the Jews convict him of. Do you see that challenge they've got? So they think he's worthy of death because he claims to be the son of God. But the Romans are gonna convict him because he's a rabble rouser. He's gonna incite a riot and there's going to, he's gonna tear down the temple and they want peace. No one wants Caesar to hear that things are in an uproar, especially, this is Passover, right? So how many people are here watching? They just want everyone to be nice. And the news of a guy who's gonna tear down the temple, okay, we can't have that. Do you see what they've done? So they have the crime they've committed him of, and now they have a crime to take to the Romans. And Jesus just sits there and takes it. Now I gotta make a Book of Mormon connection. We've gotta read verse 67. They did spit in his face and buffet him. And others smote him with the palms of their hands. Now, keep your finger there and open up to 1 Nephi chapter 19, verses 7 through 9. Let's read that at the same time. 1 Nephi chapter 19, 7 through 9. Anyone want to read that? 1 Nephi? Who's got 19? Taylor, would you read 7 through 9? Which some men esteem to be of great worth, both to the body and soul, others set at nought and trample under their feet. Yea, even the very God of Israel do men trample under their feet. I say trample under their feet, but I would speak in other words. They set him at nought and hearken not to the voice of his counsels. behold, he cometh according to the words of the angel, in six hundred years from my, from the time my father left Jerusalem. And the world, because of their iniquity, shall judge him to be a thing of nought, wherefore they spirit him, and he suffereth it. And they smite him, and he suffereth it. Yeah, they spit upon him, and he suffereth it, because of his loving kindness and his long suffering towards the children of men. Just there's—you've got to read First Nephi in this moment, where they're just beating him. This is Aslan tied to the stone table, and they're just—he's just letting them do it. Okay, so now let's go to the Romans. I'm looking for some black AirPods, and like, oh, I know where it is. So I took them to turn 205 because most of the girls that were in front of me went to that room. 205. 205. Choir. Yeah. And I told them to announce it to the class. So there you go. You're the best. 205. Okay, so now let's go to Pilate. So they're going to take him to Pilate. Now we need John. So go to John 18 and 19. We'll need Luke in just a minute, but let's go to John. Wait a minute, I want John. All right, John chapter 18 and 19. One of the most hypocritical verses comes in chapter 18. Verse 28. This is just so hypocritical. Taking him to Pilate, taking him to Pilate on a feast day, tell me what they refused to do. Someone read it. John chapter 18, verse 28. Anyone want to read? Ethan? Then led Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. And it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might be Passover. So they wouldn't go into the judgment hall lest they be defiled, and yet what were they doing? Executing the Son of God. Do you see the irony? Do you see the hypocrisy? Oh, we can't go into the hall of judgment because we might defile ourselves and yet they're putting to death the Savior of the world. Just kind of ironic. Okay, so verse 21, Pilate says, what accusation bring ye against this man? And they answered and said, if he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up to thee. Pilate says, take him and judge him according to your law. You have, go punish him. Why are you bringing him to me? And the Jews say what? It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Now tell me what that just did if you're Pilate. We want you to execute this man. That just kicked it up a notch, right? that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying which death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus responds, sayest thou this of thyself or did others tell it thee? Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto thee. What have thou done? What hast thou done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Art thou a king then? Thou hast said, I am a king. To this end was I born. For this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Did you see anything in that that would make you feel like this guy's a threat to Rome? And so Pilate goes out, end of verse 38, tell me what he says. Pilate announces, I find in him no fault, and I love the next two words, at all. Meaning what? I think what Pilate is saying is not only is he not guilty of death, He's not guilty of any crime. I find in him no fault at all. Okay, now here's to me one of the most powerful life lessons I have learned from the scriptures. Tell me what is the duty of a government official who has an accused criminal brought to them, you interview them and find that they are not guilty of the crime. What is the duty of Pilate at this point when he says, I find in him no fault? Any government official worth his salt should do what? Release him. I will not execute this man, he is innocent. In other words, over here we've got the right thing to do this is the right thing to do. You let him go. You know he's innocent. You let him go. Free him. The problem is, if I free him, I will not be very liked. In fact, Go back to Matthew. Is it okay if we flip back and forth a few times? I want to see if we can connect this. Go back to Matthew, keep John chapter 18, go back to Matthew 26. Not only that, but his wife comes to him and says, let me get there, um, 27, Matthew 27, verse 19. Well, let's, let's read 18. So tell me what Pilate knows. I know he's innocent. I know he's innocent. And what does he say in verse 18? He knew that for envy they had delivered him. So they don't care if he's guilty, they just want him dead. So I can do what they want or I can do the right thing. Pilate knows. The only reason they've brought him is out of envy. This isn't a just cause. He knew that for envy, he had, they had delivered him. And then verse 19, let's add a little pressure. What happens? His wife comes to him and says, someone read 19. John, or Matthew 27, 19. When he was set down on the judgment, I have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream. So his wife is adding to the pressure. So do you see the situation he's in? Now, life lesson, application of the scriptures. Sometimes you can be right and liked. Sometimes that's possible. But everyone in this room, everyone in this room is going to face a situation where you can either be right or liked but not both. Now, can I tell you the point, the story? Let me tell you the end lesson. When you are faced with the choice of either being right or liked, be right. If instead you try and compromise, it is going to blow out of proportion And you will end up doing what you know is wrong. And in the end, you will neither be right nor liked. That's the point. Let me make it. Ready? He can either do the right thing. His wife says, have nothing to do with this man. I know he's innocent. Ooh, but I know they want him dead. They want him dead. I know he's innocent. They want him dead. What do I do? Now, here's what human nature often does. We try and compromise. Can I be maybe not 100% right, but if I go this far, will you like me enough to call it off? Can I be right and liked if I find a spot right here? So, the first thing, number one, Pilate's number one compromise is I'm going to do something not quite right, but hoping I can still satisfy my conscience. Now we need Luke. So, Luke 22. No, Luke 23, sorry. Luke 23. Okay, verse 4, I find no fault in him. They were more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all jewelry, beginning from Galilee to this place. Oh, Galilee. Galilee. He's from Galilee? He's from Galilee? There's my out. I don't want to execute him, but I don't want to be the one that's responsible. And so, verse six. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, what does he do? He sent. Do you see the cow? What's the cowardly response here? I know he's innocent. I should set him free. I'm going to make someone else be the bad guy. Now, search your life and ask if you've ever kind of made that compromise. I know the right thing to do here. I just don't want to be the one that does it. Could someone else have the courage to do it? And then I'll just kind of silently support you. That's a compromise. That's a compromise of your conscience. I know the right thing, but I don't want to be the person who does it. So someone else do it and I'll just support you. Don't make that compromise. Be the person that stands up and says, no, this is the right thing. Even if you hate me, this is the right thing. I serve on a board of education and i tell you, it's so tempting to just have someone else make the motion. And then I just kind of silently, okay, I vote for that. Instead of being the one that has the courage to say, no, I move that we do this. And it's gonna upset a lot of people, but it's the right thing. That's compromise number one. Make someone else be the bad guy. Now here's the thing, does it work? I think the principle I, I want to point out is it, start, it's, it doesn't work. And once you start on this path, it's going to start to grow out of control. You're, you're going to have to find more and more and more conscience or compromises against your conscience if you start down this path. So first he says, oh, he's from Galilee. I'll send him to Herod. And so he did. He sent him to Herod. Now, funny story here. Who in the New Testament heard the voice of Jesus? Sinners, yes or no? Sinners, yes. Um, The thief on the cross? His followers? I can make a big, long list of people he spoke to. Guess who never heard the voice of Jesus? Herod. Herod has the distinction of being the only person who never heard his voice because Jesus is what? Completely silent to him. Verse nine, he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. Now, Herod had put John the Baptist to death. Do you see why Pilate kind of, hey, Herod put John the Baptist to death. So maybe he'll be the bad guy again. And Herod, I have nothing to do with him. And guess what happened? End of verse 11. Sent him back to Pilate. Now, what's the best course of action for Pilate at this point? Just step right back here and do the right thing. I tried to compromise, it didn't work. Okay, message received, Lord, thank you. I was being a little cowardly, now I'm gonna do the right thing. But once he started on this direction and this one doesn't work, what's human nature now gonna do? What's the momentum I'm on? Now he's trying to find another compromise that is a greater compromise of his conscience. He's now gonna step here. He's pushing further and further away from right because he seems to be so desperate to be liked. So let's keep reading. Verse 14, Luke 23, 14. Well, let's go back to 13. Pilate, when he called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, we'll read 14 and 15. You can see Pilate's conscience and yet his cowardice at the same time. Keep Read 14 and 15. Luke 23, 14 and 15. Please, let's hear it. Um, so I like how oh, so in Luke verse 9 it says he like has and nothing. And then when you go back to Matthew um, verse 63 it says that Jesus held his peace. And if you look in the footnotes held his peace was he was silent, so that's why Jesus kept his voice to himself because he was holding on to the last piece of peace. Yep, yep, I'm not going to waste it on you. I love, we're going to, next week, we'll talk about the seven statements Jesus utters from the cross. They are so insightful, but one thing that we should talk about is the one thing he didn't say from the cross, He does the same thing on the cross when everyone's chiding and saying, hey, you're the son of God, save yourself. Show us that you're the son of God, save yourself. And he chose in that moment to do what? Hold his peace. He he is silent at the right moments and he stands up and speaks at the right moments. Is this the moment to be silent for Pilate? Or is this the moment to stand up and speak? Have you passed up the moment to stand up and speak? Now, sometimes we speak when we shouldn't, and that's a great lesson. All right, do you mind reading though? Luke 23. Luke 23, 14 and 15. Um, have brought this man unto me as that perverted the people and people Having examined before you, have not found have found no fault in this man touching those things where he accused him. No more yet heard. For I said unto him, "And will nothing worthy of the death?" What's he doing? Tell me what Pilate's doing. He's asking permission to set him free. Will you still like me if I set him free? He's compromising, right? Does he need their permission to set him free? What's the right thing to do, Pilate? What's the right thing to do? Even if they hate you, set him free. And the life lesson is don't compromise your integrity because if you do, guess which direction you're headed and you will end up all the way here and end up not liked nor right. So he keeps saying, can I set him free? Can I set him free? You've brought him before me as one who perverts the peace. And guess what? I don't find anything. Can I set him free? No, you can't. Okay, so compromise number two. Pilate comes up with a brilliant idea. What's his brilliant idea? Verse 16. I will take advantage of a tradition of releasing a prisoner at the Passover. Passover. How about he's the one I condemn, and then I'll let him go. Do you see the total cowardice in that? So what's the violation of his conscience? I will condemn an innocent man. I will condemn him, even though I know he's innocent. But what's he holding on to in terms of his conscience? Then I get to let him go. Do you see the compromise? I will condemn him, and then I'll let him go. He's inching more and more towards the place he doesn't want to go. He was hoping that they would say, okay, right? Go ahead, condemn him, set him free, we're all happy. Are they happy with that? Are they happy with his compromise? Will your enemy be happy with that level of compromise and back off and say, okay, everything's fine now? or will they push you further and further and further? And if you've compromised once and now twice, what do they know? You'll compromise again and again. So what do they do? What do they cry out? You know the story. It's not so much in Luke as in the others, but what do they cry out? We want Barabbas. Free Barabbas. They're not going to let him off the hook, are they? Nor will your enemy let you off the hook. You compromised once, you compromised twice, they're going to keep pushing you. Nope, that's not enough. We want Barabbas. And as soon as they do, he says, What what should I do? Look at verse 20. Pilate, therefore willing to release Jesus, spake unto them. And they say, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why? What evil hath he done? I find no cause of death in him. Do you see the cowardice in this man? I find no cause of death in him. So now he's going to go probably over here. I think there's a big gap between this one. I wanted to condemn him and free him. And you're not letting me off the hook. You're not letting me stop. So what's his next proposal? End of verse 22, what's his next proposal? I will what? Which is being, that's a pretty soft word. You know what he's about to do. What's he about to do? I will scourge him. I will beat him to a bloody pulp. I will whip him. And then can I be done? Now, the Romans thought that that was merciful. They thought it was merciful to scourge someone and get them so close to the point of death that when they were crucified, they died quickly. Many people died of scourging. And those who didn't died quickly on the cross. And so the, the Romans thought that that was a kind act to scourge. But Pilate is going to scourge an innocent man. Now, go to, go to John 19. we got to pick it up in John 19. And this is where he pleads with them. Verse 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. Normally, I would pause and show you the video, but you won't like it, will you? (laughs) I hate that video. I hate it with a fiery passion. But it's sometimes important to realize this is how far Pilate is willing to go. And so the Savior was scourged. Verse 4, listen to a coward plead to be done with the compromise. Pilate therefore went forth and said unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that you may know that I find in him no fault. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said unto them, Behold the man. Now what did he look like at this point? Tell me what he looked like. He's still wearing the clothes he was wearing in the garden of Gethsemane when he sweat great drops of blood. He hasn't changed. And now he's been whipped and scourged. You see what he's he's trying to play on their pity. When the chief priest therefore saw, an officer saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said unto them, take ye him and crucify him, for I find in him no fault. You see what he was trying to do? Please let me stop this compromise. He's letting them determine when he has courage. And if you play that game, how far are they going to take you? He bloodies him in hopes that they'll say, okay, we're done. But they're not done. If you're willing to compromise your integrity and you think that they'll give you permission to stop before you go all the way, you're missing the point. What should I do? Crucify him. Now, Pilate has one more. I don't know that this one's you know, over here, but I'm gonna list it here. Pilate has one more. What's the last thing Pilate does? We gotta go to Matthew this time. Go back to Matthew chapter 27. Sorry about all the jumping around. Wouldn't it be nice if we had one account that just told the whole story? Okay, so Matthew chapter 27. Let's go to 24. Matthew 27, 24. Someone wanna read for me? Now, this one needs a little bit of explaining, so let's read it and then let me set it up. Someone read 24 and 25. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, see ye to it then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Okay, now, this dates back to the law of Moses to an account in Deuteronomy. Let me just read it. This is Deuteronomy chapter 21. I'll read it quickly. If one be found slain in the land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it, lying in the field, and it be not known who hath slain him. So if you find a dead body, you go into the town, and the elders shall take... Uh, the city that is next to the slain. Let me jump around. The priests and the sons of Levi shall come near me. Then they take a heifer and they slay it. And then the people in the city swear with an oath, our hands have not shed his blood, neither have our eyes seen it. So you swear with a ceremony and the washing of the hands that I am making a statement that I am not guilty of this man's death. So he's using a Jewish tradition to say, I need you all to release me of this man's death. You need to acknowledge publicly that you are the reason he's being put to death, not me. I am free. I am washing my hands of this man's death. What's he hoping that they're going to say? We're not responsible. We're not responsible. Now here's the funny thing is, will they say that? Let me just briefly have you turn to um, Acts chapter four. No, sorry, Acts chapter five. It's in chapter five, I apologize. Acts chapter five, when Peter and John keep teaching of the name of Jesus and keep accusing them of having crucified Christ. Tell me what they say in verse 28. Acts chapter five, verse 28. Did we not straightly command you that you should teach in in this his name? Behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. That's exactly what Pilate was hoping they would do. We are not responsible for his death. So in that little ceremony where he's saying, will you accept the responsibility for this man's death? Will you accept that you put him to death? What do they say? Matthew Matthew 25, as soon as he washes his hands, what do they say? You bet, we'll take the responsibility. His blood be on us. Now, do you think Pilate was free of the responsibility of his death? He tried. He tried to blame someone else. You're the one that is responsible for me going all the way. It doesn't work. He tried four different times to free a man he knew was innocent. Never once did Pilate have the courage to stand up and say, I'm letting him free. Now I know events, I know this. Ha- what happened needed to happen. I get that. But that doesn't free Pilate, does it? One of the great lessons of this, sometimes you are Pilate. Sometimes, you are stuck in that very awkward place of do you do the right thing or do you do the liked thing? It's so easy to compromise. Allow me, I love Joseph. You all, you all know how I feel about Joseph Smith, right? I think everyone I hope knows how I feel about Joseph Smith but Joseph hit that moment Joseph had translated hundreds of pages of the Book of Mormon. Hundreds, not 116. That was the replacement text. That's what was translated to replace what he lost. Joseph lost hundreds of pages of Scripture. Why? Why did he lose it? Why did Joseph Smith lose the manuscript? Did he know what was the right thing? Did he know in his soul whether or not he should lend the manuscript to Martin Harris? Did he know it? What was the right thing to do for Joseph? No, Martin, but what was the problem? Martin has money. I need him to be happy. I need him to be happy. I need to be liked by this guy so that he pays for the Book of Mormon. Do you see how easy it is to be in this situation? And even for goodness sake, even for the gospel's sake, I'm going to compromise what I know is right to be liked. Does it work? Did it work for Joseph? And when he lost the manuscript, what did the Lord say? What did the Lord say to him? You should have just done the right thing. Now, luckily the Lord was prepared for the loss and I can step up and take care of this. But do you see the lesson? Joseph found himself in that same position. And I'll bet you, every one of us in the not too far distant future will find ourselves in that position. Are you gonna do what you know is right? Boy, how hard would it have been to see how angry Martin Harris's wife was was, and to say to your friend, sorry, you can't have it. You can't have it. How hard would that have been? But do you see the life lesson? If you start compromising, where's it going to lead you? Now, can I ask you a question? When all of this is over, is Pilate liked? Is he liked by the Jews? Is he any more liked than he's ever been? So he compromised because he wanted to be liked. And in the end, he ended up neither right nor liked. And an innocent man was sent to the cross. Now, did he need to happen? Yes. If Pilate had set him free, would he have been killed some other way? Yes, he would have. Pilate doesn't get a pass on this. Pilate can't stand up and say, I was just doing what I was supposed to do. No, you don't get a pass on this. And I hope that you will learn a lesson from Pilate. I want to leave with this quotation from Thomas S. Monson, or Thomas S. Monson. Anyone want to read that top one? Taylor, would you mind? Yeah. Um, courage becomes a living and attractive virtue when it is regarded not only as a willingness to die manically, um, but as the determination to live decently. A moral coward is one who is afraid to do what he thinks is right because other will, others lose and or laugh. If you were to put a, pe- a face, if you were to put a face to that description, whose face would you put right here? Pontius Pilate. I hope and pray my face never fits right there. Be a courage. Be, have the courage to do what is right. Because the moment you start to compromise, thinking they will only require you to go this far, they will take you all the way. Morally, politically, Physically. Spiritually, in every aspect. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.